Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Beetlejuice. 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 It's showtime. Welcome to The Syndicate, a film and TV podcast. Be a part of the conversation as industry insiders, genre lovers, and cinephiles dare to peek beyond the curtains of imagination and dive into the art of cinema. Join us as we want you to spend less time scrolling and more time watching. Now here's your host, Armand Haddad. All right, so Renier, thank you so much for coming on to The Syndicate. Um... You are the creative mind behind Horror for Kids, and today we're going to be talking about the 1988 horror comedy, Beetlejuice. But before we get there, I want to talk a little bit more about your channel and what that's all about. Well, thank you so much for having me. Um, I, I've loved Beetlejuice ever since I was a kid, and uh, I, I, I'm so excited to be able to talk about it here with you. Um, horror for Kids pretty much started when I was... It was pretty much in the heart of COVID, and uh, I wasn't working, and uh, I've always loved horror. I've always been the biggest horror fan. Um, but the thing about that was that I've always been a big chicken as well. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so horror for me really stayed within the realms of, like, PG-13. And um, okay. so, as you can imagine, I, I really, like, absorbed it. And I what I wanted to do was share some of my love for those PG, G, PG-13 titles that we all kind of grew up loving and that turned us into the horror fans that we are today. And so what started off as just me kind of sharing clips of like old promos and commercials and stuff like that, the more I kind of worked two, almost three years into it now, it's, it's become so much more. And I'm like, every day I'm so mind blown and so grateful to like have this platform that so many people like engage with and seem to really like for the most part. And uh, it's, it's just been really great. So my, my goal with horror for kids is to uh, not create, but inspire the next generation of horror fans to love the genre that we do. That's, I mean, that's quite a feat. (laughs) And I do have to note you are wearing a Goosebumps shirt. <laughs> I think it's safe to say that you're a 90s kid like me. Like, you. like <laughs> we grew up, like like you said, like we grew up and like there's these uh, tangential like horror franchises that just like engrossed our lives. Goosebumps being one of them. Like you can't avoid it. Everyone read those books. I've read 
like most of those books, yeah. like I can imagine the covers like <laughs> off, like they've been living rent free in my brain that's, since the nineties. It's just amazing. Like how long that stood the test of time. You're absolutely right. Like the cover of yeah. those books just was unbelievable works of art. I was even in the presence of R.L. Stein. It's it just, it's coming to me now because like he went to, we have this, uh, it's like Comic-Con in Chicago. It's called C2E2. And I was, I kid you not, I was about 10 feet away wow. from the, the, the mind behind wow, Goosebumps. That's unbelievable. The Goosebump himself. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> that's so cool. That's, that is so cool. I mean, that, it, it's like a dream of mine to be able to like even talk to him so the fact that you were like standing right there is so cool man so cool he was telling a story i'll be quick about this but he was telling a story about like he was just walking around i forget where just in life and like some woman stopped him i was like excuse me sir please don't take this the wrong way but you look like our <laughs> and he was like what do you mean take this the wrong way <laughs> I am R.L. Stein, by the way. <laughs> That's great. That's a great story. That's fantastic. I, I actually, I worked with uh, Scholastic to give away his latest Slappy book. Well, it, it came out last year. And um, oh, wow. throughout that process, I was hoping to have a chance to engage with him, um, which like he, he retweeted the tweets and then he was like active on social media, but uh, which I'm super grateful for. I was not expecting at all. Um, but I, I do hope to have like uh, kind of like how we're doing now, sit down chat with him at some point that'd be just a highlight of my life honestly it might happen fingers, keep on working at fingers it crossed. like that would that would be <laughs> that would be amazing <laughs> if that happens but i could totally see it happening uh so let's go back to your channel horror for kids because like i've been following your channel for a while and i invited you here because i was really impressed uh with your archival prowess of just documenting the horror that we grew up in and, and even like beyond like the overt horror like titles like goosebumps are you afraid of the dark um but like i remember one of your posts was the magic school bus and it was this episode where i think they go to space and one of the nerdy kids takes off his helmet and his uh face just completely freezes over instantly and that's i mean it's not a horror show but like there are the elements of horror that are just sprinkled throughout all the, the childhood uh, cartoons that we watched. And you do a fantastic job of documenting that and kind of like showing the new generation, like, Hey, like look beyond like the horror titles of today. If you rewind the clock just a little bit, horror has been uh, sprinkled throughout all the genres, not just like the Jordan Peele titles or like the Blumhouse titles, but like, throughout cartoons absolutely and like you you first of all thank you so much for all your kind words about that like i i, I really appreciate that but um you're absolutely correct I, I i well here's the thing too a lot of people think that i am this um like guru of like children's horror media and like i i here's the thing a lot of my posts i'm learning in real time so mm. um and i mean that like I'd say 75% of what I post I'm, is something that I've learned like right there at that time. Um, now, of course, I, I love to share, as you said, like the mainstream stuff and all that fun stuff, but I do nothing really like satisfies me more than when I can find a great piece of horror within something that it should not be in. Like, <laughs> like you know what I mean? And so I, I really love those moments. And I feel like a lot of our followers um, 
really like really gravitate towards that because as you said it's like wow horror has been sprinkled into magic school bus been sprinkled into arthur right. into like all these like g-rated television shows yes. and so um that's that's that would be one of the main things i really try to highlight too here's a question for you because i want to get into um your channel and like the idea behind it of highlighting horror for the youth because i noticed that with the cartoons today or just made for children stuff today it's lacking that element of scaring children because like if you go back to the 90s the 80s even the 70s right. there was stuff even disney cartoons oh, yeah. that were that was terrifying even snow white and the seven dwarves oh, yeah. have those sequences that are pretty scary and terrifying for a child, even for an adult. <laughs> and I just wonder, like, is that element missing in like pop culture today of like scaring kids? And I think it's, I personally think it's pretty important to have those feelings for children because it, it kind of like, uh, it's a part of growing up. It's kind of like a reflection of the world in a safe environment of exactly. watching a movie. Exactly. You uh, you really hit it there. And it's funny. I did an interview with uh, the Are You Afraid of the Dark creator, DJ Mikhail, and I asked him, I said, if you were to create that show today, how would that look? And his response was that he really doesn't think that he could because of the societal uh, limitations or restrictions that are placed in today's media. Um, he doesn't think that he'd be able to get away with a lot of what he got away with in the nineties. And that's a reoccurring thing that I'm hearing from more and more people that I speak to involved in, uh, horror media. And it's, it's, you know, it's, it's true. Like you said, it's a reflection of today's world. And so, you know, things are changing in a way that's not like they were in the nineties and the eighties and the seventies right. where you had cartoon adaptations of R-rated films, like literal R-rated films, um, you don't get that so much today at all. No. Um, now, uh, you know, like, if you look for it, the reboot of Are You Afraid of the Dark, I think is spectacular, and I think it really uh, kind of carries on that scare factor that the 90s possessed. Um, it's really, mm -hmm. there's three seasons of it, but, you, like, these are, you really have to kind of look for it in today's media, whereas back in our time and or even before it it was just shoved right in our faces you didn't have to look for it it was right there in everything you watched right right yeah like it's just wild to think back to like for example the 80s because you mentioned like a cartoon adaptation of like r-rated films like robocop for, for instance exactly. like imagine crusader <laughs> imagine today if like john wick had like a saturday wb adaptation <laughs> be insane Cart or, or toys a toy line for john wick oh god can you with a figure dog it's just you know there's things that changed with the times and and that's one of them for sure Honestly, I think we need to bring it back. I think we're pacifying children a little bit too much. Like, I understand, like, I mean, we don't want to traumatize children, right. but also, like, right. where you have, like, kid-friendly horror, like, Goosebumps. I mean, they recently made that movie version with Jack Black in, yep. I think it was 2015. Yep. Um, and it had 
great praise. And I think it was beyond just nostalgia. I think it really resonated with the youth. So I think there is a hunger there, but I think the powers that be are too afraid to ruffle some feathers because you know there's going to be Karens out there. (laughs) How could you put this on Disney Plus? This is terrible. (laughs) You're right. You're right. Um, I, I, I personally would love to see more uh, more scare factors in children's media. And like, I, I, a lot of the times you'll hear me refer to horror for kids as we, uh, when it's really just me, but I, I have friends and family who all like kind of pitch in and, and followers now, amazing followers who pitch in. And, and some of my cousins who are like nine, 10, 11, 12, um, like I asked them, like, what, what, what are you guys like geared towards? And it's, it's not the, uh, like the cart in, in, in terms of horror, it's not like the cartoons or like the kind of the shows directed at, at kids. They're more into the PG 13 and up scares now, like, like, um, Megan mm. and, you know, things that like may, may have been a little, not too scary for us, but things that you don't expect 11 and 12 year olds to kind of be into in terms of scare wise, they totally are. And so if, if that's, if, if that's happening, I definitely feel like there's room to slide some of that into more PG and G rated titles. Yeah, I think we could totally do it. Absolutely. Like, like with Megan, I haven't seen the film. I've seen some clips, but like Megan's a great example of like something that a young adolescent could watch. Cause like, I think back to me growing up and the similar film that's, we encountered in the you know late 90s early 2000s with small soldiers and when <laughs> small soldiers came out it was i was definitely not the target demo it was definitely like a, a mid teenager maybe right. 15 13 i was like i think 10 maybe yeah. younger mm-hmm. and there was this notion of like oh this forbidden fruit like oh this is like a big kid movie Should i be <laughs> watching this and i was totally fine i learned about the gorgonites uh, small soldiers guy and uh, like it has a lasting scene right with uh with with christina ricci so like it, it's yes. fine you, you turned yes. out great yeah yeah i turned out perfectly fine i'm on a podcast <laughs> <laughs> no i i completely agree with you and like that that was one of my favorite movies too small soldiers and like as we talked about we were a little bit younger than what the demographic of that film was yet they came up with a toy line and i remember that because i had like half of them back when i was a kid and i remember being like nine ten and going to like after school daycare and all the kids my age had small soldiers toys so it, it was it, it was a huge moment and i i i do think that you know if megan had come out in like the 80s like if it was like a beetlejuice it might have been a PG film. Because I, when I went to the theater to see it, I kid you not, 90% of the theater was 12 to... Really? 12, yeah, 12 to you like know what? 16 year olds. That makes sense. Because like, I was joking around with uh, one of my friends. He's a big horror fan. And I was like, Megan is a vehicle for a TikTok dance. Yeah, <laughs> because we we all know that scene where she's in the hallway and she busts out some dance moves. I don't know the context. Maybe I'll find out one day. But like <laughs> that just blew up all over social media, and that was the driving force of the marketing was that dance that she does. And who's the main users of TikTok? Huge portion of it 
exactly. is young, young people. So exactly. of course they're going to be like, I want to watch the Megan movie. It's exactly. kind of like made for them, even though I, it's yeah an R-rated movie. Well, yeah, well, it's so. What, what my next point was that it's it's uh, I think it, here in Canada at least it's PG thirteen, but they the smart decision behind the marketing was to come out later on with the R rated version. So it's like you kind of hit both of your markets there. You hit the upcoming horror fans, you hit the you know the teens, the kids, and you also then build up the excitement of these scenes that were cut because they were R rated and you bring back in your 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 eighteen plus fans, right? So it the whole campaign was just phenomenal. It reminds me because I I know it's the parent company is the same, uh, Universal. It reminds me of Chucky, because like we had Chucky growing up, and that was definitely not for children. Exactly. But we all know <laughs> we all know who he was. Yep. Yep. Oh, exactly. Man. Chucky appeared in like wrestling campaigns, and he was <laughs> like, it, it, like you know it it was a different time for sure. Like you would not yes. see like um, I don't know you, you would not see. Pennywise, no. or maybe Pennywise, but you wouldn't see like Terrifier, Art the Clown doing it. Oh like, my God. Art, 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 you know what I mean? So On Nickelodeon? Nickelodeon. <laughs> so it's just, it's just, they were completely different times for sure. It was a different time, but I think we're going to see some sort of resurgence in some wow. way, shape, or form yeah. uh, in this coming decade. Yeah. Um, well, you know what? We've got the adaptation of the Gremlins coming out in May. That should be. Yes. On. Max, not HBO Max. It's called Max now. <laughs> See, God. I don't even think we have that in Canada. To be honest with you, I don't think we have really Max yet. We don't have what? a couple of things. We don't have Hulu. Uh, oh man, it's it's behind the. I know uh, the. I'm gonna call it the Maple Wall between America <laughs> and Canada. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> so let's get into our main subject, which is Beetlejuice, yes. um, because. I recommend this to you, and you were very receptive about this. Like we were, you know, had the same thing on our minds. Beetlejuice. Um, growing up for me, Beetlejuice was probably one of my favorite films, and it's a PG thirteen movie. Actually, I'm looking at it now. It's actually PG. If this was made today, it would be totally PG thirteen. There's yep. even an F bomb in it. I know. Which... PG movie, right? Uh, now we have to remember that. I'm pretty sure it was 1984 that they transitioned into what, like a PG-13 style of rating. Yes. So in 88, it was still a pretty new concept. Like people were just still kind of figuring things out. Because <laughs> like there's no, because I, I rewatched this recently uh, for this podcast and there's no like, like gratuitous violence. There's no blood because it was because of Temple of Doom which was pretty bloody. It was a pretty bloody movie. People got messed up in that movie. And then oh, yeah. the censors were like, okay, we need something in between R and PG <laughs> and Beetlejuice, the subject matter itself, I would say, I mean, I guess it could be PG, but it's definitely more edgy of a film when it comes to like the sexual, uh, subject matter in there. <clears throat> and also like the, I guess the lewdness of the language. That's where it was. For me, I was like, this is more like a PG yes. thirteen film Absolutely. than PG. Absolutely. But I, I want to ask you, how did you first discover Beetlejuice? So, like you, I was a kid, and um, I'll never forget it because it. I really think it had some long lasting effects on my life. But I literally, it was fall 
It was a beautiful fall day. I'd already loved fall and Halloween and the whole September, October seasons. And uh, Beetlejuice came on, and I knew nothing about it, absolutely nothing. But it was being advertised as a Halloween-style movie, and it was on a kids' network. And so I watched it from start to finish, and my life hasn't been the same since <laughs> it was. I from the time like that opening that uh that song that 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 mm-hmm. um that, that really kind of hypes you up and that yes. the excitement of that from that to like the end of it I, I just I couldn't believe what I had just seen and was able to digest as a kid um you know some of the things that like so there are some scenes in that that are pretty not bloody or, or graphic, but like for example, when uh, when Barbara's holding Adam's head or when the face pulls off, like yes. I, you know, those were scenes that I was proud that I overcame and watched, and it was because of the comedy, you know, that kind of tamed it out a bit that mm-hmm. I was able to do so. Um, but yeah, ever since I watched that, I was like, wow, like like it introduced me to I'd already seen horror in television, but this was now like a step towards horror in film and horror in movies. And uh, that was that was huge for me. Yeah, I mean, with Beetlejuice, like it 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 has that horror wrapper uh, around it, but like at the heart of it, like you said, it's the comedy that makes it more digestible for especially a young person watching this film. Because I would mention this to like my peers or like people slightly older than me, like, Oh yeah. Growing up, like I loved Beetlejuice, you know, uh, Jurassic park, uh, jaws. And they're like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> they're like, Oh my God, I would never show my kids. And I'm like, I would absolutely show my kids this. They can handle it yeah, because like, I th- I, like, like I said before, I think it's important to have those, uh, elements of horror in a kid's life because with Beetlejuice, especially, it kind of disarms like horror itself because like growing up, kids are afraid of a lot of stuff. They've been afraid of uh, thunder and lightning. People that like like or, or the dark uh, are you afraid of the dark? Um, <laughs> like they're afraid of these external forces in in their life. And if you disarm uh, horror elements with comedy, like Beetlejuice does uh, so magnificently, um, it makes. I think growing up a lot easier for them too. You know, hundred percent. You you really said that beautifully. Like you really, that was perfectly said. I I couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> Thank you. Um. So like with Beetlejuice itself, like we encountered it at a young age, and honestly, like it kind of like opens the door to the horror realm too. Because I don't know about you. I mean, you just name drop Terrifier. Um. So I assume that you're into the modern horror movies and like did this was this was beetlejuice a gateway drug to other horror films oh yeah 100 percent. beetlejuice like really opened the door for me um now remember i i said that i was still a big chicken but beetlejuice opened the door for me to to handle more so or kind of conditioned me into the concept of this, uh, you know, supernatural horror, uh, paranormal horror, that kind nice. of thing, um, where, where we're dealing with an afterlife with, with spirits in a more mature themed way. You know, this wasn't like Tales from, from the Crypt cartoon where like mm. you kind of knew the ghosts were whatever. This was like, this was really happening. There were real scares happening here. And so it really conditioned me. And as you said, it was a gateway drug for me to look for more, uh, more, more of that. <laughs> 
wherever right. else you find it. So you, like you said, Jurassic Park and all those great, uh, you know, PG, PG-13 horror movies that showed, you know, scenes with a little bit more mature style blood, not not blood and gore, but, you know, and uh, yeah. So yeah, I, yes. from, from Beetlejuice, I was just super into it. What's also interesting with Beetlejuice is these, uh, the director and the composer, uh, Tim, Tim Burton and Danny Elfman, little did we know that they would just, this would propel their career uh, so much further. Cause like Tim Burton is like a brand now. And like, you can see like the hallmarks of his visual style in Beetlejuice. It's definitely more muted as opposed to where it is now. Like uh, I think to like Alice in Wonderland reboots, uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory reboot, where it's like this aesthetic that he just transposes on all these uh, franchises. But like, you could see like, the beginnings of like his aesthetic with like the angular um, exaggerated uh, architecture and like the dark themes and the very specific um, uh, clothing that his characters wear very Gothic. Um, Did you notice that as well uh, when revisiting this film? Yes, absolutely. Like it was like watching like the early stages of like a, like a genius, you know, like, (laughs) I, I played out to like, oh yeah, like you know what? You could see how that transitioned into this movie, or you could see how how that aesthetic, you know, moved itself into this movie, or how it plays nice. out into this film. Or, and so I really feel like Beetlejuice was like the one of the really strong pioneering movies of Tim Burton's career, um, and you know just how hard he even worked to to have it made once he got the script. Like he, from what like just in doing my research, uh, you know, he was he was looking for a movie to do and he was given lots of different scripts and they're all pretty stale to him. And when he came across Beetlejuice, he was so into it. And even pitching to the actors of the film, the actors, the actresses, he went really hard. And like, I, I think there's a, um, a story where he had to like fly out to meet with Catherine O'Hara to even pitch it. Cause she wasn't into it. Oh, so wow. he had to really like pull these strings to, to make it all work. So I really feel like Beetlejuice is like, one of his firstborn babies. It truly is. Cause like I'm looking at his filmography right now and he did Pee Wee's big adventure. That was his directorial debut. And wow. you could see, I mean, it's definitely not a horror film, but there are horror sequences when he loses his bike. My bike. <laughs> like you could see like he's, he's been like itching for like a horror film. And like, he finally, got that uh, a few years later with Beetlejuice and that just like that set into motion the rest of his career because like after that, you know, he did Batman with Michael Keaton who plays Beetlejuice. He then dons the Crusader cap uh, to play Batman and it's like, oh my God, and he did Edward Scissorhands afterwards and you could see, I mean, dare I say, I think Beetlejuice is probably his magnum opus. I think I would he, agree. he struck while the iron was hot and he just made a masterpiece. I agree. A masterpiece. And you know, it's funny that you said, uh, Batman returns with Michael Keaton or Batman with Michael Keaton. Um, because they were actually supposed to do a sequel an animated or uh, forget if it was animated or a live action sequel to Beetlejuice, uh, called Beetlejuice goes Hawaiian. I'm, I'm not sure if you ever heard of it. <laughs> Beetlejuice goes Hawaiian. Yeah, yeah. They, they have, they, they, I'm pretty sure they have a poster and everything for it. It was in development. And oh um, because, of how, 
because of how kind of distracted uh, Tim Burton and Keaton were with Batman, they, they kind of didn't have the time for it. But there's there was apparently like a script and, and the wheels were in motion. There was a whole plot line of um, the Deets moving to Hawaii and uh, trying to build a hotel. And the hotel was built on like a Hawaiian spiritual burial ground. And so the movie is Beetlejuice versus this Hawaiian spirit in like oh a god. surfing competition. Oh my god. <laughs> so yeah, so take take that how you will. But uh it, it was in motion. I'm not sure if we'll ever get a chance to see it, but I'm just glad that didn't happen. <laughs> most people that I tell that to are. Most oh people I I think god. I would just kinda wanna see No, you know what? I I don't think I would want to see it because I think that people's reception to it would tarnish the Beetlejuice name. <laughs> uh, but it would be like a like a car accident that like you know like you can't really take your eyes off of. Like I just the plot line alone is just uh, so far fetched, and apparently like the whole you know strength of the movie was going to fall behind the clashing culturals of like Hawaiian culture and this like God. German theme US. Yeah. I don't know. Don't let your intrusive thoughts win. <laughs> I think it's I think there's a reason why it never uh, came to fruition. Because like we, we have those tiki elements in Beetlejuice properly because uh when he goes to the underworld he encounters like uh uh I don't I don't really a voodoo shaman, I guess. Right, right. Uh, the, the witch doctor kind of. Yes, exactly. So I could see where the the train of thought began. It's like, oh, well, you know, he should fight the, the tiki oh. god in Hawaii. It's like, <laughs> no, 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 no. Let's yeah. take a step back, everybody. That's that's exactly it. That's so, exactly it. Yes. Yeah, so. so we're getting Glad into that. the plot. Um, so, Renier, I want you, could you, for the listener summarize the plot of Beetlejuice 1988 before we really dive into what this film is all about. Absolutely. So the plot line of Beetlejuice are, there's a couple that uh, is recently deceased and the movie is pretty much about them dealing with the effects of the afterlife and a family moves into the house that they've lived in and they're trying to get them to move out. <laughs> and so they're yes. still so to do so, they enlist the help of Beetlejuice and um, not really realizing how uh, maleficent and, and how kind of uh, mischievous this, this spirit is. Um, that kind of backfires on them. And that is that is a quick, brief summary of it. And, uh, you know, the, the, the movie really deals with themes of like death and uh, like the afterlife. And, and, and that, that for a kid was just really kind of new uh, to see it being done in that depth and like to see the scene of like you know the the in the first 15 minutes the two main characters adam and barbara like drown essentially yes that was that was really big you know and so mm -hmm. that was that was uh that was really cool at the time and actually in the script i know i'm kind of going off topic but uh in the script that scene of them drowning was going to be a lot darker and i really wish tim Burton kind of leaned in on that a little bit more but in the script, like the car kind of crushes Barbara's arm, and they're like screaming as they're drowning and oh like flailing their body parts. Yeah, and, and so I mean, I, I wouldn't want to see that played out in full effect, but I do think that there are there's other parts like that that are darker and that 
could have made its way into the film. I think so. Yeah, let's get into it. So, like, uh, our the the couple that were introduced to uh, the the Dietzes, right? Yep. Um, played by Alec Baldwin and uh, Alec Baldwin and Catherine O'Hara. Yes. So I was okay. I think it works better if they didn't do the whole gruesome route because, like, it works on a suspense level because like we don't really see them die it's kind of implied and when they return to their house they're soaking wet so we assume as you know if we're watching it for the first time that oh they they're home now but little do they know is that they're dead so like we're finding out with the characters that they're actually you know they crossed over and now they're kind of stuck in their home and they become ghosts within their own home Absolutely. You know what? Now that you said that, I, I do agree with that more. I think that, that that was such a pivotal part of the movie. And so early on, that really captured your attention that I will though I'm not sure if I'd want that removed and to have seen them die so graphically. So I give you that. That is very good. Because, like, I mean, as the horror fan within us all, we want them to, like, scream and, you know... <laughs> drown and we want to see it but like storytelling wise i think it works better if we're left in the dark and what exactly happened because like when i was watching that crash it's a bit comical because like they're like suspended and like this uh stray dog or somebody's dog is like holding the car up because like he's like perfectly balanced on like the piece of wood and then he moves and the car falls into the river watching that's like oh Surely they're not going to die. They're going to get out. And we didn't see them get out. Oh, they got out. They're wet. Oh, they're dead. Right. Oh, some other family's moving in. They don't want them to move in. They have to scare them away. That was such a great pivotal. Like, that's what really, like, if the opening theme song didn't capture you, then that part definitely should have. Yes. And what's interesting is, like, as I was watching this, like, growing up, I didn't think I registered in my kid brain that they were dead for some reason. Oh, okay. I don't know. I think it was because I didn't see them die. I was like, oh, and then I just, I just thought they were just weird. Like the Adams family. I was really into the Adams family. I was on was great. Great. (laughs) And like, I would ask like my mom, because my mom introduced me to Adams family. And I'm like, are they dead? She's like, no, they're just weird. And I was like, Ah, <laughs> which is true. They're not. You want to spell the plot for you. Know? <laughs> um, so with Beetlejuice, like, it's just a beautiful film because, like, we have all these weird, interesting characters. Um, we have Beetlejuice played by Michael Keaton, and for a kid watching this, like, I was absolutely drawn towards Beetlejuice because, like, he's this larger than life figure he's this weirdo and there, you just like you shouldn't like him because he's truly the villain and he's like a con artist he's like a used car salesman uh, for the underworld and we shouldn't like him but there's something so charming about his character and i think it's all to uh michael keaton's performance uh from start to finish uh, with this film oh. absolutely what michael keaton did with bill juice was just unbelievable and the origins of how it came to be are, are, are just so fascinating to me, like how 
he was the one who came up with the look of Beetlejuice. It wasn't even Tim Burton. Tim Burton yeah. had no input. All Tim Burton did was tell him kind of what he envisioned and, and said things like, oh, he, uh, look, you know, he comes out of a rock or like he, he, his finger, his hair looks like he stuck his finger in, a, in an electric socket. Those <laughs> kind of things. And then Michael Keaton took that and went to V. Neal, who was the makeup head, yeah. and they came up with this Oscar award-winning look, right? And um, Oh, my God. That, that to me is just unbelievable. And like, yeah, so like not, not only is, you know, the charm and then the appeal, not only did that work for everyone, but the makeup effects and the prosthetics and, and the whole the, the whole visual of him and the things that he could do and, and say, all those things like are what made that character so unbelievably iconic. I had no idea this film was an Academy Award winner. We're talking about an Oscar award-winning Beetlejuice here. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I didn't know yeah. we were living in a timeline where <laughs> Beetlejuice is an Academy Award winner. Yes, I, I, I believe they also won like three Saturn Awards for also like best horror film, best makeup, and there was one, uh, something best visual or something best audio. Well, like- it makes sense because part of the film does take place on Saturn, as you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there, you go. there you go. But yeah, this is this won an Oscar for how awesome it looked. So that really has to say something, you know? You know, okay. Like Tim Burton, good for him because like he, not enough credit is given to Tim Burton because I think because of his long lasting legacy, because like we look at Tim Burton's like, Oh, it's Tim Burton. He's a great director. But like, I think, like I said earlier, like he became more of a brand name. Like when you think of Tim Burton, you think of a certain aesthetic and a certain uh, directing choice rather than him as a person, him as a creative force. And I don't know when that transition happened, but like young Tim Burton versus the Tim Burton now are like almost two different people. You know what I mean? Absolutely. (laughs) There's been a lot of growth there um, for sure. Uh, And, you know, even in the styles, like it shows like, as we were talking about earlier, like some of his earlier films, they're like, they're like little like rough drafts, like blueprints of like what's to come. Right. And uh, just to see how, how they've played out in modern day now, you know, some of them aren't as scary, but still there's horror elements in there. And you can at, at the very least see the core of the aesthetic that's still there. Absolutely. Like he's, uh, yeah, it has a brand name. Yeah. Now, now essentially like how many other directors there's maybe like a handful of them that you can say, okay, look, you can you can look at one clip from a movie and say this is their movie, just solely based on how it looks. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. 
Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. You know what? That's a hallmark of a great director where you can just look at one single frame, one sequence, one scene and be like, I know who that director is. That's a Tim Burton movie. I could think of some other directors. Alfred Hitchcock. Yep. Uh, That's a great one. Maybe Steven Spielberg. Mm-hmm. Michael Bay. Here's a negative one. <laughs> Explosions. <laughs> robots. Maybe, uh, yeah, Orange yeah. filter. <laughs> oh, that's a Michael Bay movie. <laughs> that's a Michael Bay film there. Oh, my God. But, like, this movie, to go back to Beetlejuice, like, this movie, like, covers a lot of interesting ground. Uh, when it comes to the themes of the movie, because like we're following this couple as, you know, it makes me as the viewer think about my mortality. And like, I mean, I don't know what happens after we'll all find out when it happens, but like uh, a fear of mine is being stuck in a temporal place, like being a ghost in a haunted house, essentially. And that's what these main characters that we're following that's what they become. And it's like, they don't want this other family to come in and change their home. It's like, this is my house. You get out of my right. house. So like a big portion of the first act and a little bit of the second act is them trying to scare away these newcomers. <laughs> yeah. And we get that great scene of, uh, singing Deo. Deo. And like, that was, that I think, again, was another this is scene that cemented how iconic this movie was for me because being of Caribbean background, that was the first time I've ever seen like Calypso and like like soca music being played in a mainstream movie. And so for me to see that and be like, like that was just so mind-blowing to me that, uh, that they included that. And it was actually Catherine O'Hara that suggested it because they were going to take a more R&B route with how the soundtrack was going to play out. It was Catherine O'Hara that said, ah, let's go with Calypso and look at how that played out. Tim Burton actually didn't even like that scene at first with the, uh, the dinner table. He didn't what? even like that scene. He thought that it wasn't funny. And it wasn't until like the test screenings that, that, that people like really resonated and kept talking about it. That he said, okay, you know what? Now I see why it's so good. So like this was just, Oh my God. All the stars falling into place to make this such a, great movie this is an example of lightning in the bottle we have the right people at the right time working on the right project because i can't even imagine uh beetlejuice with an r&b soundtrack it just would not work yeah, can you imagine, right that's so like it and it's that contrast of the somber and gothic tones of the movie the, the aesthetic of that mixed with this lighthearted, fun calypso music that you got this clash of just awesomeness and it fits thematically too, because like um, with the island music, like you said, with the witch doctor uh, character, that the mysticism lends into the the overall theme. It points to the theme of like the supernatural, the afterlife, you know, uh, the beyond, yeah. uh, beyond the material world. So it just makes sense that I hope that's what Catherine O'Hara was uh, channeling when she. Uh, even mentioned like, oh, why don't we just do uh, Calypso music instead of R and B? Because like R and B, soulful music, and you know, I think of like Disney films like Aladdin, 
or Beauty and the Beast in the end credits where they have the R&B cover. I could show you the world. I can't imagine that with Beetlejuice. Can you imagine R&B music with uh, uh, Winona Ryder dancing on the floating at the end scene? That's what it was supposed to be. That was the scene. That was supposed to be an R&B song. Literally, yeah. No. That that doesn't work. That doesn't work at all. Doesn't work. Speaking about that scene, another cool thing about the, the, the script was that she was actually the concept of her uh, getting the grade and then kind of levitating. I think she got like an A or an A plus, and then le- levitating with the spirits. Yeah. That was supposed to be a scene in which she was engulfed in fire, in flames, and the, she died. And then she celebrated that death, and the movie was going to end with her being a spirit with Barbara and Adam. So that's how the script had it, which I think is is pretty dark, pretty pretty dark. They each why it was changed was because they ultimately didn't want to show that uh, or, or portray uh, death to be happy. Mm. So they kind of switched that. They didn't want to show you know PG thirteen or PG uh, watchers that this was a happy way to die. Right. They changed it, but yeah, that was the original script. It would have, it would have became an A twenty four movie at that point. Which <laughs> that's a scene from like Hereditary. Yeah. That's funny. That's, that's that's exactly it. Yeah, they would have definitely had to relook that that rating for sure. God, yeah, if it was rebooted today, it would it would it would take a darker route. Well, probably not because like uh, there's been a Broadway adaptation of Beetlejuice that has been Absolutely. massive success massive which just goes to show the pop culture impact of this movie and out to an animated series a broadway musical countless video games like just huge uh, yeah just huge huge impact yeah and even a cartoon on wb i think because i watched a little bit of that i I was wondering did i see the animated series if not (laughs) definitely about the animated series that was did i imagine that (laughs) i think it was on disney actually i don't know i don't know where it was but yeah. Definitely seen. I was like Beetlejuice as a cartoon. Oh my god! And like even as recent as uh, uh, 2019, Beetlejuice. I think 2019 or 2020, Beetlejuice was in the Halloween special of Teen Titans. Like as Beetlejuice, it was a phenomenal cameo. I, I posted it on Horror for Kids. It's so good. Oh my god! <laughs> so we're talking about like the 80s to 2017, like or 2018, or one of those. Sorry, uh, 2019. I think it was 2019. From the 80s to 2019, that span of like just relevance to pop culture is incredible. Like Beetlejuice had had that staying power of that legacy of uh, influencing pop culture, but like it definitely came back into the zeitgeist uh, around that time because there was talks of a sequel happening. Beetlejuice, right. I mean, it's apparently still in the talks. In the talks, yeah. I think we did. We get a confirmed cast member or was that a rumor I, honestly i remember seeing jenna ortega might have nah. confirmed but <laughs> i don't want to i, I don't want to quote on that I, I think it could be a rumor i don't I know. think it's a rumor i think we rumor. i think we want it to happen uh i I, okay. I mentioned to one of my my horror friends i was like yeah you know jenna ortega was like in talks of being winona writer's daughter uh in the beetlejuice reboot and he was like oh That's god right. no no, oh. I was like, <laughs> I was like, come on, man. I, you know, I, I don't think I'd mind that. You know, like, I think a lot, a lot of people are kind of starting to 
not not that they don't like her, but there's she's in a lot. She's getting too she's big. In a lot of, she's in a lot of stuff, yeah. And so, but I I do think that like following the trajectory of like her being in horror franchises and her being in like the uh, Adams Family franchise, no, the next natural step would be for her to be some way involved in the Beetlejuice franchise. So we'll see if there's if the sequel comes to fruition. Um, I think it'll happen. Do we want that? I think it'll happen. Yeah. Like I think okay, if it was cool. anybody, I think honestly, you know what? I'm just gonna come out and say, it. if it was gonna be anybody, bring back Winona Ryder, bring back Michael Keaton, but like yeah. have Jenna Ortega be that new generation, uh, for the fran. If they're gonna turn it into a franchise, or if they're just gonna do like a Beetlejuice two, Undead Boogaloo yeah. or something. Well, that that would that would change a lot because then you wouldn't have to include that like her. You you can use somebody else, you know. But right. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, because I'm I'm thinking like to the Scream franchise, what they did with Scream, and it's like they made it work because they had a interesting, likable character, new generation coming in. I'm afraid right. if it takes the right creative force, if you're going to do a Beetlejuice, you know, reboot or remake or sequel. That the cast has to be good. And I think Jenna Ortega, if she's involved, will definitely help. Absolutely. I 100% agree with you. I feel like she would be a very, very, very strong cast member. My only, only concern, and like it may even be a stupid one, but my only concern would be like, are we giving this poor girl too much on her plate? Like to to be a, an, uh, you know, to do Wednesday, to do. Um, you know, to do oh, what else? Jim? I'm I'm trying to blame that. To do Wednesday, to do all all the other Scream, to do all the other franchises, huge franchises that she's a part of. Are we giving her too much to now carry on this iconic role or, or be introduced as a new character with a whole new path? Honestly, know? I th- I would say no because I think she's actually getting too big for Scream because Scream. I mean, if you've seen the new ones, like it, they're, they're they're awesome movies, but like you could you could see that it's still a low budget production. Yes. So like, well, and you know, screaming, well, yeah, yeah, that's that's a whole other episode. That'd be good because you know, like, you can look at Scream's use of of celebrities in the past and, mm-hmm. and how they dispose of them. So they might kind of play that up. The next one, I love the newest Scream movies. I I love all the Scream movies. I have Scream tattooed on my nice. arm here. But I I the I do feel like the next one. I don't know. A couple of people shouldn't have made it out of six, so I don't think they'll make it out of seven. So we'll see. Well, we know seven's coming, but like Jenna Ortega does not need Scream at this point. Scream needs no. her. So <laughs> I think she well, can I, easily be choosy and be like, you know what. I was offered Beetlejuice, so you need to like kill my character off. <laughs> <laughs> and that would make a pretty. Oh, she already had an opening scene in the. So I don't know. We'll find yeah. out. We'll find out. That'd be good. We'll find out. But I want to touch. I want to go back for just a tiny bit about like Beetlejuice. what what. <laughs> go back to Beetlejuice. Yeah, I want to go back to Beetlejuice because like you mentioned the the original ending uh, had. Uh, essentially Lydia self-immolates and then join the underworld. I think it's interesting that they didn't go that direction. 
because of the context of the time. So it's 1988. You probably know this. There was this satanic panic happening in America. So like I could totally see like uh, the powers that be. I think it's Universal or I think it's actually Warner Brothers. Oh. Warner Brothers are probably like, listen, we can have a creepy <laughs> movie, but we can't like glorify uh, death. Because, like, all yeah. the yeah PTOs are going to come after us. So I could see <laughs> maybe, maybe that's in the back of their mind, uh, why they went the direction of, like, her dancing on the staircase yeah. floating. Oh, totally. That's that's exactly why. Now, I, I actually didn't know about that uh, satanic panic, but I, I just assumed that it – well, not assumed. I read that it was because they didn't want it to, as you said, glorify that, that death. And I find it interesting, like, if this type of story was made today, they would totally go for that ending, as we could see with, like, A24 movies, where you had yeah, that darkest. If Beetlejuice was out today, it, I, it, it wouldn't be rated PG. So they'd have, be able to have a little bit more creative freedom as to what they could show. I definitely feel like they could incorporate that for sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. As well as um, the scene where Beetlejuice, uh, we don't see the face that he makes towards uh, the Maitlands, but we know that it's a grotesque one yes. because the, we see the back, but we see all that kind of stuff coming out. They actually wanted to show that, and uh, I think V. Neal had even made up the face for that, but for some reason that was cut too. But yeah, they'd be able to show all that and, and make it really good. Honestly, less is always more. Yeah, like that leaves it up to your mm-hmm. imagination, right? Cause especially as a kid, you're like, wow, what did they see that was so terrifying that they couldn't even show it or beyond your imagination (laughs) that's exactly that's the scariest stuff truly so we're okay actually i want to talk about one one thing before we get off the fence and uh uh for this film i find it interesting like looking at it through the lens of an adult watching beetlejuice i find it interesting that so beetlejuice himself is a con artist he's trying to uh, take advantage of recently deceased people uh, uh, for his own gain. And he's like, like I said earlier, he's a used car salesman of the underworld mm-hmm. uh, for his services. I find it also interesting that that concept of like cheating people is also um, contrasted with this new couple coming in because like they're, they're business people trying to, Escape the city, uh, the city life of New York uh, to go into Connecticut, quiet, peaceful life. They're condo developers. And the company that he works for wants to essentially uh, redevelop the entire town, the small town that he's in. Like, oh, we could put like this amusement park and shopping center and this museum over here and parking lots, parking lots. And it's like, oh, you're no better than Beetlejuice. I'm so glad you brought up that point because Beetlejuice came to be when uh, the studio realized how how the world reacted to Poltergeist and how well that did. And so what they wanted to portray was it's not the spirits that are the bad ones. It's the people moving into the house. Mm. They're the bad ones. So that flip is what kind of inspired the film to be. 
And uh, yeah, it's it's really interesting to see those characters develop, and and like you almost kind of like you kind of pick sides as to like who you're who you're cheering for if it's Beetlejuice or if it's the <laughs> the family that's moving in or if it's the Maitlands. Um, and so, and you know what's great about that uh, concept and about this film too is that I find as I grow and as I age, there's different things that I that resonate more with me, and and I you know like like as I'm in a relationship now. Uh, it's like that scene where they where they crash the car and die, and like the theme of that, like you know, anything could happen, is really terrifying. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And like, and, and having to navigate the afterlife with your significant other, that's a whole other concept than what you're envisioning as a right. kid. You know what I mean? So that's just a true telltale sign of a great movie. Like the, the older you get, or kind of not even with age, but with with different stages mm-hmm. of your life. It resonates in different ways. We all take something differently uh, depending on what age uh, you approach this film. Because, like, as a kid, you'll be like, "Oh, this is a wacky, fun movie," and then as an adult, you're like, "Oh, like you look deeper, and it's like you see the subtext, and like you apply it to your own life, and you react to it." I think that's a hallmark of honestly more than a film. It's it's this is art that we're looking at. Art, art, yes, absolutely, art and. Like even uh wow like art in every sense of the word in every department the soundtrack was amazing oh yeah the visual effects the the makeup effects the acting the the um the, what's it called the stop motion all that was just so well done and as you said it was like lightning in a bottle like all just this collaboration of talent and people putting their minds together to create this masterpiece. Uh, it was just phenomenal. One of the coolest things that I think, uh, the title of the movie was supposed to be called um, House Ghosts. And then, yeah, House Ghosts was, was, was the name of the title. And then they changed it. Uh, Tim Burton had jokingly, jokingly suggested that they call the movie uh, Scared Sheepless. <laughs> And, and the, the studio was like, yeah, you know what? That's pretty good. And Tim Burton was like appalled just just in horror that they were even considering it. So they came upon the name Beetlejuice uh, after a star, I believe. And yeah, that's how it all came to be. Oh, my God. You know, so I, I work in the creative uh, field and it's always the option that you least like that the stakeholders go with. Hey, why don't we go uh, scared sheetless? That's great. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> that's so funny. That's, that's, that's what, that was his exact reaction to it. Too. And I think most people would be like, oh, well, anyways, but not with Beetlejuice because, like, this doesn't happen a lot. But, like, when you have that project that all the right people are associated with and they all believe in the project and they give it their all, you could tell. I mean – uh, Danny Elfman making the soundtrack, which is, it's amazing, iconic. And like, it's an earworm. Every time you hear it, it's like, Oh my God, like this is an amazing uh, theme for this movie. And then Tim Burton with his direction and then the, the whole creative team and the actors. And it's like, everyone gave it their all. And that's why they got an Oscar. And it shows exactly. That's why I got an Oscar. You're absolutely. Right. You're absolutely amazing. So Renier, are you ready to get off the fence on a few questions regarding Beetlejuice. Absolutely. 100%. Okay. So my first question is, you know, we've been talking about like uh, sequels for years now before the pandemic. So do you think this film even needs a sequel at this point? 
I would love a Beetlejuice sequel. And I'll okay. tell you why. I, uh, Lay it on me. Like, I would love a Beetlejuice sequel because I run an account for kids <laughs> horror. And I really feel like kids today would really, really love a modern version of Beetlejuice. I would want to see what that even looks like, to be honest with you. And I feel like Michael Keaton wants to do it. Tim Burton wants to do it. Uh, Winona Ryder wants to do it. So, like, that passion is still there. It's not like you're you're begging these people to come back and, and you know that passion is still there. And I really I'm curious to see how Beetlejuice has evolved from the eighties to twenty twenties. Like that's like a time capsule. Like, you know, like one of those time capsules that you put underground and you open up and like twenty years. I would be so excited to see what that looks like now. And um, I really feel like the opportunities for like marketing and promotion, like the return of Beetlejuice, like that would be so cool. It, it would be like like a like a Pennywise thing, like every twenty seven mm. years, like, <laughs> you know, like Beetlejuice is back. Like that would be like that would be the coolest tagline. You know? and I think that that would really bring in a lot of people. Now, I don't know about the story. I hope it doesn't follow like that Hawaiian plotline, but um, I I would really want to see what you know, that tale would look like in 2023. Honestly, I wasn't excited, but having listened to you, what you just said about seeing it in the 2020s, like, even though I absolutely love Beetlejuice and the charm of the practical effects and the stop motion, I think that's what really makes Beetlejuice special is that use of, like, practicality with it. Because, like, if it was made, you know, the sequel... It would totally be like CGI. Like I'm thinking of like uh, Charlie and Chocolate Factory as a, compared to like the original one. I was just like completely CGI. But who knows? Maybe there will be practicality involved with if they were to do a sequel. If they know, what I mean, that seems to be a resurgence. Like we had the CGI fest, and now people are like, oh, you know, I like models. I like rubber and yeah. silicone in my movies. Let's bring it back. Yeah, and I think it was the brand that, that, that really is hammering that home. People all over, like, on all of my posts about, like, uh, behind-the-scenes things, people are all the time saying, bring back practical effects, special effects over CGI, special effects over CGI. Like, they're really, really into it. I think that the voice of the internet is being heard by all different kinds of studios, and they are bringing it back. Now, the great thing about in 2023 now too is that as we talked about, we'd also probably get like a PG-13, maybe even like a 14A yeah. Beetlejuice, which would open up the door to so much mm-hmm. more. And that's a part of why I'm so excited or why I would be so excited to see. Yeah, I think 100% it's going to be PG-13. Even Star Wars went the PG-13 routes uh, with the new films. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. I think it's a safe bet. I think it's a safe hedge to make a PG-13 because then you'll satisfy everybody, including yeah. you know adults. So I think that's the safe route Absolutely. to take. Um, do you think it's going to be rebooted by Netflix? It's, we're not going to get Beetlejuice 2. It's going to be called Beetlejuice, a Netflix original. <laughs> um, I really hope not. And I'll tell you why. I love Netflix. I have Netflix literally playing in the background. <laughs> but, um, you know, there's something about, like, a movie premiere. Like what Megan yeah. had. You know what I mean? 
like and like you know people have a lot of negative things to say about the movie experiences and whatnot but at its core there's something really special about seeing something on the big screen on opening day or opening weekend having that premiere and there being the promotional cups and the popcorn buckets and all that stuff netflix has its own pros but it can't deliver that experience to you so that would be what i would want for beetlejuice too i would want that and like you know like it's part of like i i wish that um hocus pocus 2 had come out like right. in theater instead of on Disney plus because then we would have had so much more more to it right but that's my opinion i i really feel like uh, beetlejuice 2 would benefit from that marketing that goes into a major motion yes. picture that's you know premiered at absolutely well, you can blame Bob Chapik for that, for the Hocus Pocus 2, because, oh my God, he got fired for a reason, because he cooked the books when it comes to Disney+, Plus and he wanted to put everything on Disney+, Plus and obviously it didn't work. But yeah, that's why I didn't see Hocus Pocus 2. Like, I absolutely love Hocus Pocus, the original. I've been watching it, like, countless amount of times since I saw it as a kid, and yet, when Hocus Pocus 2 came out, I wanted to see it, but if it was in theaters, I would have went. Yeah course and that's so unfortunate like, that's so that's just and see that's what i don't want for beetlejuice too i want it to be seen by like the exact same audience that would have you know gone to the theaters in the 80s or whatever now is going to take their kids to go see that movie yeah like i think okay it's definitely going to have a theatrical run like i could just imagine the marketing like similar to what they did with megan with like having the megan dolls everywhere imagine having beetlejuice with a striped uh suit like, it would be amazing. Halloween that year would be the best year <laughs> ever. Every kid, every single kid would be green hair, <laughs> mold, all on the face. It would be it would be a vibe. <laughs> Remember 2025? Yeah, man. That's when Beetlejuice came back. <laughs> I'm telling you, like, we're, we're on to something here. We should, we should be a part of the marketing team because it's this kind of passion that needs to go into it. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, we're talking about Beetlejuice here, like, the Oscar award-winning Beetlejuice. It needs to have that. It type needs to of have hype, an event. That type of, yes, like Star event. Wars when it came back in uh, 2015. Ah, yeah, yes. Exactly. exactly. Yes. It needs to have an event. So, do you think this film? Sorry, sorry. And then if Netflix wants to make a TV okay. show out of it, then whatever, whatever they want to do with it. But let us have that movie premiere. Yes, if <laughs> HBO Max wants to reboot it as a 10-year. Uh, TV show, The Beetlejuice. All right, we're here for it. There you go. All right, so I think I think I know your uh, answer to this. Do you think this film stood the test of time and it's a cultural piece of cinema? You know my answer. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's one of my favorite films, but even being unbiased, like, it's an Oscar award-winning movie. So, like, it, 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 really encapsulates all of the the best of the best um as we've spoken about for the past hour the visual effects the makeup effects the soundtrack the storytelling the the directing all of that has come together to create this masterpiece that has worked for right. decades and decades like, literally right like we just as i said we saw a version of beetlejuice and teen titans uh, and so like people there's still a real fandom for Beetlejuice um, you know you go, like, even if you go to Spirit Halloween they still have Beetlejuice from the 80s like like things from the 80s like Beetlejuice you know like, 
towels and stuff like that. People still love it. So I definitely feel like it has stood the test of time. Um, it's one of those movies that you can look back on and be like, oh, you see, like, they did that then, but they couldn't do that now. And, oh, that, that it really has that, like, nostalgic factor yes. to it. You know what I mean? And so it, it's uh, – and then you mix that with, like, the fall – vibes and like the halloween spookiness of it you've really got yourself a masterpiece yeah i mean people clown on beetlejuice like oh beetlejuice yet we all know about beetlejuice like there's a broadway uh, adaptation of beetlejuice that was a huge hit like we're we're all yearning Mm -hmm. for a beetlejuice sequel like honestly like this is the 35th anniversary of its release this year and we're still talking wow. about it. We had an entire podcast talking about how great this film was and how it works and how it could still work today and it resonates so well 35 years later. And yeah, I mean, I totally think this is a cultural piece of cinema. Like it's it's interesting that it's this film, but like everything about it just works. You you wouldn't think that this would last almost 40 years later, but it does. And it just we all love it and we can't get enough of it. Absolutely. Can't get enough of Beetlejuice. And like, but like we said, it's still super relevant in today's media. And, 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 you know, it's, it's a, it's a classic tale. Like everybody who's our age or, you know, even younger or older knows about Beetlejuice or has heard the term Beetlejuice or knows like you say the word three times, Beetlejuice appears. It's kind of got like that Candyman yes. style. Uh, like f- f- folklore, yes, folklore to it, you know, like it's the kid version of Candyman. Stuff like that, <laughs> stuff like that, for a long time. Kid version of Candyman, absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. You know what? You lean into that. You you ha- you can really get some really spooky, yeah, themes out of that. You know, because yeah. he truly is the kid version of Candyman. Yeah, the more I think about it, the more the more it's hit me too. Like him, like I could totally see him coming through like a wall and like offering you know candy and. All that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, oh that'd, be, that'd be really cool. Yeah, I mean, I can just imagine the sequel or reboots or remake of, like, just Beetlejuice today. Like, it'll work. Like, imagine seeing the snakes on that desert planet of Saturn with today's technology. Yes. It would be fucking awesome. It would be, like, Dune-level stuff. Amazing. Yeah. That's what I want to see. That's yes. what I'm here for. It's a cultural milestone. We got to see the sequel, reboot, whatever it is, the new version. It's going to happen. Yeah. But would you recommend Beetlejuice 1988 to a friend? I would recommend it to all my friends. I'd recommend it to all my family members. And I would definitely, I love posting about it on Horror for Kids because it, like, it's right on the threshold of like, it's right at my limitation. It's right at that like, PG PG thirteen <laughs> level, uh, I, I have a lot of fun with it, and like I just learning about kind of the behind the scenes trivia and stuff that went into the movie. Just it's just so fascinating to me, and I you know what it's funny like I I'm my career job is a makeup artist, and I I got into makeup because I wanted to do special effects, and I, I truly believe it was it stemmed from what I would see as a kid and Beetlejuice and all my favorite horror movies. Um, and, and I mean, now I'm involved in like fashion and TV, but I started because of my love for horror movies and I, I, it's movies like Beetlejuice that, that really inspired that. So now I try and post about it to hopefully inspire the next generation of 
people that want to get kids that want to get into special effects makeup or animation or stop motion or, or directing or that kind of stuff. Well, I think you're doing a fantastic job. And I think uh, with your channel, Horror for Kids, you're definitely inspiring the new generation because, like, ultimately, like, kids. I mean, I felt this way too growing up. Like, looking back to the 80s, I didn't live in the 80s. But I'm like, oh my God, everything's so much better back then. Movies were better. Cartoons were better. Everything was better. Culture was better. And yet, uh, Gen Z or Gen Alpha are looking back to the 90s. And they're like, oh my God, the 90s were awesome. And I'm like, the 90s? Well, I mean, I'm a little biased because I'm a 90s kid. But like, it's just wild that the generations that keep on coming always look back a decade or two and are like, oh, I wish I lived during that time. 100 percent but i you know i do think that 90s kids are a unique brand of children though because we saw we saw through older siblings and older cousins the 80s and how mm-hmm. life was then but we were also on the cusp of seeing the pioneer lifestyle of this right. new age too of exactly. the internet and social media and we're young enough to engage with that and still have Snapchat or TikTok accounts or yes. know what that is uh, at the very least. And so we're, we're a very unique group that like, <laughs> we're the best. Yeah. We're the best. But, uh, and we can really kind of touch on multi-generational topics because we kind of experienced a little bit yes. of it all. Whereas kids born in, you know, I've got siblings who were born post 2000 who, uh, you know, they don't really, they don't know the 80s i had to introduce them to like are you afraid of the dark and goosebumps and whatnot but if they and a lot of their friends who don't have older siblings they don't know about all those shows so it's like 90s kids 90s doing doing the lord's work by introducing these kids to awesome horror (laughs) media you're doing a great job man you know what even on like a deeper deeper level like i i genuinely like from the bottom of my heart feel like like even outside of what I do in my career, horror for kids when I die is going to be what I leave here on earth for my future generations to hopefully want to continue. And like, I, I feel like this is my contribution to like planet earth is showing, introducing kids to horror. That's awesome. And so I'm, I'm happy with that. And uh, if that's how I go <laughs> out, I'm more than I'll, I'll be doing it till the that's day. Great, I die. Man. You, you're definitely leaving the world in a better place than how it was. I'm trying. So are you. Your podcast is awesome. Like well, what you guys cover is so cool. And like even going through some of your old podcasts, like you guys have covered <laughs> such an extensive thanks, man. amount of movies that range from all over. So congratulations Thank to you. you two. You're doing a phenomenal you, job. I really appreciate that. But like, yeah, I mean, your channel is gaining a lot of traction. You had a, a Bloody Disgusting was uh, featuring you. And, you know, uh, uh, Are You Afraid of the Dark? Uh, talking to you too. I mean, you. you're definitely getting the notoriety and recognition uh, you deserve because you're doing a great job. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm really hoping to do more. Um, I, I love when like authors reach out to me and are, are like, you know, like, can you help me promote my book or whatever? And I'm like, of course. I, I love to, to put out as like, that's what the whole account's about. It just so happens to have now like 80,000 followers on a platform that I can, like, I want to help people put out their 
children's horror media. So like it's it's been working really great, and I'm I'm having a blast with it. Uh, everyone over at Play Disgusting is phenomenal. Um, I hope to work with them so much more. Uh, Fangoria, I've worked with them before in the past. They're great. So like I just hope to continue this, and hope that it keeps growing and growing, and we'll see awesome. where, where it well, takes. Congratulations! So before we sign yeah. out, where can people find your channel, Horror for Kids? You can find Horror for Kids on Twitter, on Instagram, and on Facebook. Um, it's at Horror, the numerical four, kids. Um, we are not on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's been some accounts that are that are using our uh, our profile what? picture and. They're called, yeah, yeah. This is something that uh, it's something that's really upsetting. But like, they're using our profile picture and posting Whoa. content that is not for kids. It's not really cool. Take but that like, down. We are not on TikTok. We're on Twitter. We are on Instagram, and we are on Facebook. You should send over a cease and desist. Uh, I've been trying for the past like two months to have the account taken down. Ever since I was notified of it, actually, and it, the most the most embarrassing part is that like it was actually like one of um, I think it was like scholastic or somebody that I was like I, that I was doing a partnership with and they're like we want to like tag you on tiktok but this content doesn't seem to be like it's yours or like but it's your profile picture and i'm like what i'm like i don't even have a tiktok what's going on so i look and it's like oh man they're showing like 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 cartoon like oh. nudity and all sorts of things that does not align with my brand at all at all and so i've been trying to have it taken down um but yeah, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram are where you can awesome. find horror for kids. Well, I'll link that in the show notes of this episode. Not TikTok. S- screw that guy. Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Renier, thank great. you so much for coming on. This was a blast talking about your channel. Also, Beetlejuice. Uh, this was a great time. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Thank you so much for having me. I had so much fun. This is one of my favorite podcasts I've ever done. I've done a few now. This is definitely one of my favorite ones. Uh, I had such a great time talking with you. Uh, if you ever want to do this again, feel free to like contact me. I'm 100% down. You can pick another movie and, and have a great well, time. I'm glad to hear it. Uh, well, I hope everyone, uh, checks out your channel. Uh, you're doing a great job over there and hopefully we can do this again soon. Thanks so much, Renier. Thank you so much for having thank me. You. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So let's close this out. Thank you everybody. See ya. That's it for this time on the syndicate. We hope you enjoyed yourself. Keep the conversation going by adding us on Instagram and letterboxed at syndicate. Or join the Discord server where you can catch Armand along other podcasters and listeners at syndicate.com slash discord. And until next time, stop that scroll and spend more time watching. Goodbye.